This is episode number 67 of the Birding Life podcast. My name is Adam and I'm your host on the podcast where we discover birds and the people that pursue them. Today is our monthly Birding Life show and I'm joined by Tyron and Mark. And in this month's episode, we'll chat about atlasing and the value that it has added to each one of our birding journeys. Just as a disclaimer, as we start, is that in this episode, I mentioned the BirdLife Itaqueni KZN Color Me Green Challenge. I really fumble over the name of the challenge. So before you hear my stuff-ups, it's the Color Me Green Itaqueni Challenge. I'll pop a link in the comment section of this episode for the challenge page. I really encourage those who stay in the great Itaqueni area to consider taking up membership with this great club. Joining a bird club is a lot more than just being able to take part in activities. It's the opportunity to add your voice and resources to the conservation work they are doing. If you don't stay in the Itaqueni area, look up a local BirdLife South Africa affiliated club. As always, the Birding Life is proud to be associated with Swarovski Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars and spotting scopes, as well as the Bird Lasser bird logging app, Spot, Plot, Play a part. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast to help others find the show. Please also tell others you know about the show. If you would like to contribute to help us cover the costs associated with hosting the show, you can click on the link in the comment section of this episode and buy us a coffee or two. So let's get into this month's Birding Life show. So everybody, welcome to the July edition of the Birding Life show. Uh, it's good to have everyone with us again. Well, not everyone. Chris is not with us and also Calvin is not with us because of work. But we've got Mark from the Western Cape and we've got Tyron. So guys, welcome to the show. Cool. How's it? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, so just as we get started, just a reminder that Outliers Coffee Roasters sponsors our monthly Birding Life show, and we're really passionate about this brand. Their coffee is fantastic. Some of the best coffee we've tasted, but the great thing is that every bag that is purchased, a contribution is made to a meaningful cause. So the one that we've got this month is the Dawn Chorus, and every bag supports BirdLife South Africa. So we encourage you to check out their websites and order some coffee. We'll put the link into the comment section of this podcast. So just to start off, we just want to say on behalf of the Birding Life, uh, I know we, we chatted about chatted to you on the show last week, but while we kind of all together, Mark, well done on your Islets Award. Shots, thank you, Adam. Yes, no, um, I'm really stuck. Um, <laughs> I'm really stoked about it to have uh, received it with with Justin. And I'm not sure if it's like the first time, but it's one of the first times that the Islets Award has been given to two uh, people uh, under 18. Um, yeah, two people. Um, and yes, it was actually so cool to... <laughs> to be on um, BirdLife South Africa Conservations Conversation webinar and, you know, see everyone, all the other recipients and uh, listen to Mark Anderson talk and stuff. And we were on a Zoom uh, meeting with with everyone and, uh, you know, got to say hi, almost uh, digi digitally face-to-face -face with Mark Anderson and all the other <laughs> hotshots and recipients and stuff. Um, so it was really a privilege and a really cool experience. But yeah, thank you, Adam. Well, you're getting quite famous because you've been on the conservation conversations twice. So, yes, you're more famous than us, eh? Yeah, twice now. Um, and now we've got an, another person from the Garden Route. Um, Mike Bridgeford, I think is his name. He's going to be doing a talk on the conservation conversations this Tuesday. So, um, or it, he would have already done it by now when this, when this podcast comes out. But he, he did one this week. So, 
that's yeah another person from the garden roots doing um, something on the conservation conversations uh, webinar. And then I think just to celebrate that uh, you shared with me earlier that today this has been recorded on Monday that you got a grass owl as a lifer. Tell us about that. Yeah, so it was it was found um, at in the garden root area. I can't really tell you the I can't really share the exact location because it's it's quite a special species for the garden root, um, and people have been seeing them over the last few years. I think over the last ten years, it's it's been a very unknown species for the area it's, it's kind of been dwindling its population out uh, and it's actually a cape grass owl a subspecies called Taito capensis capensis i believe is the the latin the latin name and um it's a it's a different subspecies to those you get in kzn and more north um and if you look on robert's birds of southern africa you'll see on that that the newest edition that there's a little a green patch in the garden root area in the southern part of South Africa. And that is a different subspecies. That's the one that I, I saw today. So it is a lifer for me, lifer African grass owl. And uh, one or two other people have been able to see it, including Justin. Uh, I think he, he spotted it, actually. So, uh, you know, well done to him for finding it. Um, but we cannot reveal the location of this bird because it's such a special bird for the Western Cape and especially for the garden root because... People haven't been seeing them here for uh, properly in a long time, except for blotchy unconfirmed reports in the, the lakes in the area and stuff. And um, this bird has been uh, seen over the last week, and um, some people have managed to go find it. But um, but yeah, uh, but yeah, no, absolutely awesome to be able to connect with the species. Um, I'm so chuffed about it. And it's life number, I think it's 400 and... 71 for me. Oh, that's really fantastic. And the Western Cape, obviously, the species count is a little bit lower than KZN, so it's a really great number. But I don't know if you know this, but what is the difference between the different subspecies? Do you, Are you aware of the differences between them? I'm actually not. I think it has something to do uh, perhaps with the, the plumage, um, the, the darkness of the bird. Uh, I mean, it, it's basically double the size of a barn owl, so there's no mistaking it for a barn owl. Um, uh, unless it's in you know in the distance or brief sighting, but uh, yeah, pictures of this bird have been taken, um, and the the habitat is right for grass owl, definitely not a barn owl, um, and we're just hoping that it's nesting here, uh, so that the population can grow. And once it's growing, I think uh, people will start you know spreading the word a bit more because you know I, uh, we don't want people to come twitching this bird trying to find it, trying to photograph it, and then you go flush it in the in the reeds um, and all the bushes, and it goes, it, it's, it gets scared and it doesn't want to come back to this area. So, Tyron, over the last month, uh, we, in between Grand Prix and Max Verstappen winning the, leading the championship at the moment, pretty awesome. But in between Formula One, we have been doing some really fantastic birding. And I just think I want to give a shout out to Nicolette Forbes and the BirdLife Itaqueni KZN team for putting together the paint, painted, uh, paint me green or painted green challenge in um, Itaqueni. It's been fantastic just to get people out there and atlasing. And I know, Tyron, you've been really, really pushing a lot to, you know, have a lot more um, full protocol cards done for the year. So, yeah, tell us a little bit about your birding over the last month. Yeah, no, it's been um, some pretty awesome birding this last month. I think we've been out together quite a few times. Um, This past weekend, we, of course, explored your 
um, new area that you found, which is just inland from Toti. I think you call it Adam's Rural, and you claim that it's named after you. <laughs> Mark, true story. It's called Adam's Rural. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, and we we've discovered some pretty cool cool birds there. Um, obviously, um, on Saturday we we saw four Narina trogans, which is pretty. It's probably the most I've seen in one day. Um, so that was really awesome. And then quite an unusual bird for KZN, not a rare bird for KZN, but there's not many locations people find them, is a striped pipit. Almost everyone in KZN goes to either Cumberland or Shangreni or Angoya to get the striped pipit, and that's about the only three three locations people know of in the whole of KZN. So to find a different location is, is actually quite interesting. Now, Tyron, I think... Just to add a bit of a story around that, I think those who listened to last month's podcast will probably, you know, have heard a little bit more about um, this location we found. So really, the way I found it was through Atlasing, and uh, it was on my Bird Lasser app, and I, you know, I wanted to get that specific uh, pentad done, and I went to the other side of the Olova River. If you down here, you'll know we're talking about the other side of the Olova River, and it was just quarries in that. And I was like, oh my word, there's nowhere. But I could see on the the bird lesson map that there was some really stunning location and you know i went along and we drove along the r603 so for those who don't know anything about the r603 it's like a road from hell um the traffic drives like crazy like hooligans on that road but i was driving on the road and i had to kind of keep an eye on my bird lesson to see the road to turn into and you draw you turn off the road and the first place you kind of turn on off onto is like almost like a township and you're turning past um, shabines and uh, it's just like hordes of people there and you think oh my word where am I going to and you drive a little bit further on about a kilometer or two you basically turn off this little dust road and all of a sudden you start this descent into the valley and there's a the first place you stop is like this place that overlooks the valley where there's it's just such a good place to stop for the dawn chorus normally you have a cup of cup of coffee there and you just listen out i know we got um black cuckoo shrike there with uh, uh zach heard um green twin spot there and it's just a great place for the dawn chorus you know normally hear the crowned hornbills and the trumpet hornbills calling in the morning obviously the hardy dars also call but yeah they call everywhere and then you keep going down into the valley and 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 as you head down to the valley, you you start driving across. I don't know. It's about five or six of these like river crossings, and you know almost every time, except for one time, almost every time we've been there, when you drive over these rivers, there's mountain wagtail, there's half collared kingfisher, and you just drive through the you drive through this 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 fantastic valley. You don't see anyone. You don't see people. Um, you could just stop and get out the car and have a look around and. It's just absolutely fantastic. And Tyron was speaking about the Marina Trogan. We came up to this one little place and I've, I've gone up to the, it's like a little fork in the road and I've gone up to the left before and it was very unproductive. But something just said, let's go into this place. And we drove in and the the, the, the trees, the, the bush and the trees were kind of all overgrown on the side of the road. And we drove in and as we were driving in, there was this, like this flash of red. And Tyron's, what's that? What's that? And luckily, the bird sat and it landed. And there was a female Narina trogan. So that was fantastic. We were like getting really excited. And they drove into the place. And, uh, and then you come into this like little secluded spot. And it's you like it's like you in the middle of the Drakensberg or something. It's fantastic. And we turned around and we we're looking, looking for other birds. Tyron sees, oh, there's another bird. 
Here's another Narina Trogan sitting in the tree. Fantastic. So anyway, we, we eventually pulled ourselves out of this area. We, we kept on going and yeah, drove, drove up and we went out the pentad. We'll talk about the next pentad in a moment. And on the way in, we got a, a cinnamon-breasted bunting, which um, interesting enough, Tyron was saying the striped pippet, we didn't get an out-of-range email for that. We only got one for the cinnamon-breasted bunting, which is actually a fantastic bird. I, you know, from personal experience, I've normally we normally get the golden-breasted bunting a lot more a lot easier than this uh, cinnamon-breasted. Oh, fantastic bird! I looked up and I saw. I, I first thought it was a paradise flycatcher because that's that was all, that was the only frame of reference I had. And as I started looking at the bird, it was like quite far away. We got a photo and everything, really terrible photo. But on top of the tree was this. Um, this rufusy looking bird and you could see the streaking on its head and yeah fantastic and as we drove back through the valley and again another narina trogan just next to the road i think myself and town were like we we could not believe the luck but you know what's what's been really fantastic for me around this this challenge and this is why i really want to give um nicolette and the team just 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 really just say well done you know, Tyron will, Tyron will know a little bit better, but a lot of these pentads around us, I don't know how it is down you, but by your side, Mark, but a lot of these pentads locally, I'm talking about pentads within 10 to 20 kilometers of Durban. Nobody goes there. They are just like, they are just un-Atlas pentads. And this Adams Rural pentad, was last atlased in 2010. So you can imagine the, the species count is, is, is out of whack. There's no like, near there's no recent records of birds that have been seen there and like i said i i, I discovered it by quite by accident went down there yeah so first time i kind of went there got back told tyron all about this place and i was just blown away and i think i went back there again um went back there with um pat nurse and um siatambisa majoga and went down there and they were just blown away they got they were the first to actually the trogan down there and I think what's been really exciting firstly is that that Pentad now has, I think, about 10 cards, full protocol cards for the year. And now people are starting to ask to go down. And I just think, you know, it's it's absolutely fantastic. When you start going into these areas and you, you give it a bit of exposure, it's just, it's amazing the kind of reach it has, Tyron. I think that's what's been very exciting for me about this whole initiative. Yeah, no, that's right. I think even the Pentads that have been atlased a lot, you know, there's still value in atlasing them more times. Um, a Scott heron was seen the other day in Toti Bird Sanctuary, and I thought, okay, I don't have it for my Pentad list, so I'll go get it, because I'm also trying to get to 200 for, for the Pentad and full protocol cards. I think I'm on 198 or something. So I went there and got it. But then it, it got me thinking, and I had a look on Sabab, and no one had ever at the Squawka heron in Toti before. It wasn't just me. It's a new bird for the Pentad. And then I was also thinking, okay, I'm almost on 200, and then I told my dad about the Narina Trogans we saw on the weekend. And he said, oh, yeah, I saw, I saw one in front of our house. So this was many years ago, probably 10, 15, 15 years ago. And it's quite interesting because I've actually never seen a Narina Trogan in our Pentad before. And I'm the leading person in our Pentad with almost 200. So there's always something new that's going to be around the corner or there's always more to discover. So I think that, that's what makes it interesting as well. Yeah, very interesting indeed. And uh, just to, to just on the topic of of atlasing, uh, last month I went out and um, Josh Klein and myself um, we went out for a drive around Sedgefield area, um, and we we decided we we were actually looking for squawker herons. And we yeah, so we we were just atlasing around the Sedgefield area, and we now the uh, <laughs> now keeping in mind this is the garden route and we we just went around literally all four corners of the pentad trying to find roads that we could explore and stuff 
And um, almost at the end of our um, trip for the Pentad, we came across a golden-breasted bunting, which is a rarity here in the garden route. And I think in the beginning of this year, it was quite unusual. I'm not sure if if you remember all those reports coming through of golden-breasted and cinnamon-breasted buntings in the Western Cape. It was like almost like an, an eruption, as they called it, of of these two species in the Western Cape. And it's it's slowly slowed down now, um, but. But yeah, again, we got an ORF, um, out of range, I uh, think, form from Bird Lasser or Sebap 2 when we submitted the Pentad for that. Um, and it was the first one for my year, I believe. Um, but also nearby on Tim Carr's reserve, Reflections Eco Reserve, another hotspot for the garden route, um, we got a cinnamon breasted bunting, which was a lifer for me in actual fact. So that, that, that was also another, we were busy atlasing and we went to the reserve and got that. But, but, over the years, squawker herons, uh, funny you said that, squawker herons have been sighted more and more in the garden route, and people usually get ORFs for that species, but I think, I'm not sure if, if people aren't getting any more, uh, but squawker herons are becoming a breeding uh, resident in the garden route area, so um, the, the amount of times they get reported for SEVAP2 kind of contributes to them being seen as more of a a, um, a resident species in the area as they are now becoming, um, but now I'm <laughs> almost certainly you'll get a ORF for African grass owl um, in the, the the garden route. <laughs> so I'm I'm interested to see what happens when I post that one this evening. Yeah, it's interesting also how that ORF system works because even if it's a new bird for the pentad, it doesn't necessarily generate an ORF because they actually take into account if it's been seen in neighboring pentads and they've obviously got some algorithm that they actually work out if an ORF should be generated. So it's, it's quite interesting. I'd actually like to know how that algorithm fully works. I think, I think what's fantastic about atlasing is it just allows it for me, it's taken my birding to a new level and I probably started off as more a birder. And as I've grown in my birding journey and I've kind of found my own feet and discovered who I am as a birder, I can honestly say I'm an atlaser before I'm a birder. You know, the funny thing is for a lot of people, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with people that went and did this, so don't hear me wrong. Don't send us emails or something where you guys are anti-twitching. We're not anti-twitching. But when the lesser whitethroat showed up, I can promise you something. Myself and Tyron had a chat about this. I had absolutely no inclination to go, go to go and see the bird there was not even a little bit of disappointment to me that i didn't get to see the bird but let me tell you something when we went into the valley and we got to atlas and we got to see a cinnamon cinnamon breasted bunting which is again is is not anywhere near as, as rare as a lesser white throat and we got that striped pippet i can tell you something i was a lot more excited than i would have been if i'd got the lesser white throat and i think for me the, the what i what, what i'm passionate about the atlasing part of it and and I don't know if you want to add to this, Tyrant, because this is what we were chatting about the other day. But when what really makes me excited is is, and this is just my my personal take on it. If I went and got the lesser white throat, I'm seeing somebody else's fund, and that's awesome. But I'm getting somebody else's fund. And when we go and when you go in Atlas and you discover new places and and birds that are maybe common but are are out of range and that there's there's it's it's something you discovering yourself and for me that is that's what that's what makes atlasing so exciting that's it's and also you know like tyrants come with me many times mark will come with us one day but you know when i go in atlas and area kind of what you're talking about with you and just uh, you with you guys earlier down there 
when when I go into an area, I don't I don't go and I, I want to cover every 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 nook and cranny, every corner of that pentad. I want to discover every dust road and 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 for me, I I find birds that that possibly other people aren't seeing in our area, and I also find places that other people don't discover. And there are other people that are going to those same places that I went in Atliston. And for me, that it's it that 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 is what makes me excited. I'm not saying it's it's wrong for somebody else to twitch a bird. But that is what excites me. And I know we were chatting about that the other day, Tyron, how much more rewarding it is in actually finding those birds for yourself. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. What are your thoughts on it, Mark? Hmm. No, it's an interesting point there. I think um, what I think is that, you know, birding has many different aspects of excitement for everyone and enjoyment for everyone. You know, whether it be looking at a bird and just seeing it move and go about as this living thing that you, you you can actually watch and go about its life, you know, without it getting bothered by you or, you know, the thrill of twitching the whole drive there, the hike up the mountain to go find it <laughs> and then getting that photo, that's thrilling, you know, or just enjoying that stroll down the beachfront, looking at the seabirds or the canaries on the flowers or whatever, um, there's many different aspects of, of, of birding. And I think another one is atlasing, as you said. Um, and I've experienced most of those experiences um, and I'm still finding which one suits me best. But I can totally understand that, you know, the the, the experience of atlasing can be quite thrilling as well. And uh, you, you get this feeling of, you, you described it almost like it's a feeling of you contributing, basically. Hey, like you, you, you feel like, you know, this is my find. This is me contributing to the South African Bird Atlas project. And um, it's not me going to find a bird that was already seen. It's me going to find a bird that hasn't been seen to see what new stuff I can find or to, you know, update and keep my uh, my pentad up to date and if there's any new birds that have come into the area. So, yeah, I know there's many different forms of birding and things you can do with birding and they're like, oh, there's just, un- I don't think it ever ends really. It's it's so, it's all the ways are really exciting and atlasing is so cool um, that it's actually been invented, you know, um, especially now with bird lasser that it's, it's much easier on your phone um, that with this device that you can carry anywhere, you can submit bird data uh, information and sightings wherever you go, basically, where there's GPS signal. Um, so, oh, no, really a lot of fun that birding brings, eh? I just want to read something. When I read this in the new um, Africa magazine, one of my heroes in birding is a guy called Peter Stain, and he, he one of your Western Cape guys, and he said this, and I, I really, this just resonates with me. It says this here, um, some of things don't seem the same anymore. Talking about his days versus now. These days, there's such heavy emphasis on identifying and listing birds rather than hands-on research. I really believe that the best research is done on one's own doorstep. And I think the challenge we're sitting with nowadays is this, is and, and again, I hear what you're saying, Mark, and I fully agree with you, and I want people to know, whatever your journey looks like, that's awesome. As long as you are enjoying your birding journey, that's awesome. But I think the sad thing is nowadays, and maybe this is with social media and um, WhatsApp groups and Telegram groups, it's almost like your value as a birder is placed on the amount of birds you have on your list. And honestly, the reality is I, I, I can say I'm a pretty average birder. I don't think I'm an amazing birder. But let me say this here. I've been with people, and Tyron will know some of those people we've been with, who have got 50 more birds on their list than I've got. Yet when you start going with them and they, 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 they can't even identify simple birds and it uh, uh, i think the thing is a, a, a big laughless doesn't make you a great birder 
Yeah, and I think I think it's it's a lot deeper than that. There's a lot more things in that that goes into what makes people be um, become great birders. But I think my encouragement is I think you're a great birder if you enjoy what you're doing. And I think just get out there and enjoy it. Just love birds. Whether you want to be a whether you want to twitch birds, whether you want to be a an atlaser, a lister. Um, there's a lady in our area um, who just goes to the same little bird park every single day, and that'll that would drive me nuts. But she loves it, and she. She sees birds that tired of myself. I've never seen that because she just goes back to the same spot every day. Yeah, no, that's pretty awesome. Um, it was like that person who found the lesser noddy. I think uh, that that person had been going to that beachfront, I believe, like regularly every week. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think I think that's what happened. And then one day, he photographed um, this unusual bird in a turn roost, and he he found. Uh, that lesson noddy I'm, I'm not sure if it was the one in the eastern cape or if it was the one near cape town and i, I believe that's the story but anyway that that, that is what this is that is the kind of thing that happens you go to a, a spot and you 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 know it so well you go there often and eventually you will find a bird that's not usually there um so exciting things can happen when you know your area well um indeed and then, and then you get people like Pat Nurse, who has this amazing balance. You know, you know her well. Who's seen? Who's got a, an amazing life list? Who's been almost all around the world. But she, most of her birding journey, you know this, Mark. She atlases her her local pentads, and she just atlases almost every single day. And I think, and it's amazing. She's kind of got this balance where she she chases after nice birds, but she also understands the value of of accurately recording your her local birds. Mm, yeah indeed auntie pat auntie pat like yo she does awesome birding in the area and you know um as the head of lakes bird club here in the garden route she uh organizes regular bird outings um every month for the bird club to go on we cover local areas and she always atlases on her device and uh you know we're all open to discussion and we all say listen i'm recording this now and i'm sure as usual bird clubs do we sit in a in a group afterwards and we say we read the list for the birds that could be seen in the area and we tick them off and then we you know we we make sure they're all logged off on bird lasser and submitted to sabab 2 um so yeah uh atlasing in your local area i mean guys from uh non-domestic tourists who aren't from the area you know they they won't they're not going to do the atlasing in your area as much as you can you've got to that's your that's your responsibility basically as as an atlaser to to atlas your home pentad and the the pentads around you you know if you want to be a responsible atlaser if i could say that um and yeah i'm finding more and more cool things about about birding as I atlas more in my area and um, even at school you know walk around a break time for half an hour uh, in the garden roots botanical gardens and submit a ad hoc uh, protocol card for a couple of the birds I see for half an hour and uh, I could do that every single break time if I wanted to and how much that could benefit me I'll just have to see. We, we were driving back from a twitch um, the one day and I know Tyron kind of took me and got me thinking about you know my own birding journey in, in a very different way and you know the other day I was sitting in the bottom of my garden and you know I just found this comfortable rock to sit on and I sat on this rock um I sat there for about an hour half an hour to an hour and there was a red cap robin chat and and for those on KZN that's a that's a common bird you see a red cap robin chat every single time you got a bird almost if you get into the right habitat but I sat there and for an hour I just watched this bird I observed this bird and it was just going around, feeding around me, coming within a meter and a half of me. And and you know what I think, you know what, more and more, maybe it's maybe it's with the age, I don't know, Tyron, but you know, this idea of sometimes just slowing down and just, you know, not rushing around, but just actually slowing down and just 
just enjoying the experience of birding. I know you spoke about that on that one trip back from Zululand, Tyron. Yeah, I mean, to me, this whole business of this person is a better birder or I need to be a better birder, to me, birding is not a sport. I don't have to be good at it. I've just got to enjoy it, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying I'm, 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 I want to learn bird calls and I want to keep a life list, but I'm not in a race to learn this stuff. I'm going to do it at my pace and what makes me happy. That's the main thing is this enjoyment, you know. It's not a sport. I'm not going to win anything. I'm not going to, you know. So uh, and there's a lot of advantages of, of birding slow as well. For a start, you... You know, you appreciate um, the birds in your area more. You get to learn their their habits. Um, if you're a photographer, you get some good um, opportunities for taking photos of your local birds. And you're just in less of a rush. You've also got more time. You know, if you're not traveling 10 hours every day to touch a bird, you can bird every day. You can only drive two kilometers somewhere and you can bird. You know, you can make time early in the morning. So you can bird more often, obviously costs you a lot less, which is a good thing. You spend less on, on petrol and yeah, so there's there's many advantages. Yeah, definitely. And Adam, when you sent me a video of that red-capped robin chats that you saw when you sat on the rock in your garden, yeah, you, you told me that you didn't have a camera with you. So it's, it's kind of unfortunate, you know, you sat there enjoying the birds that in your area, in your, around your house. Um, and um, as Tyron says, you know, you, you get more opportunity to photograph the birds in your area, yet you didn't have your camera with you. So that's quite, that's kind of un, unfortunate. But that's also how we see rare birds, Mark. The striped pipit, the only reason we saw it on Saturday is because we were going almost out the pentad, both Adam and I put our cameras in our bags and we just set our binoculars on. And sure enough, we saw the bird of the day after that, after we had both put our cameras away. So it often works like that. If you're not having a good day, put your camera away and you'll see something good. But you know, Mark, on the on that note, what you were chatting about, the whole thing about not having the camera, you know, about a week ago, I was in also Atlasing and I had probably one of the best views I've ever had of a great cuckoo strike. I mean, it was just right in the open, just feeding on this branch in front of me. And there was like this tendency to me like, oh, let me go grab my camera quickly to get a photo of this bird. I want to come back and got a photo. And I thought, you know what? Sometimes, sometimes I think even just actually sitting and looking at a bird through the binoculars, I think there's a, a different level of enjoyment that you get that you don't always get when you look through a camera. And I think even that can, even, you know, the pursuit of that perfect photo can disconnect you from the moment. And I think, you know, sometimes it's nice just to actually, in the field, it's nice to get nice photos. I mean, yeah, but sometimes just get up there and just and just, just enjoy the bird. I mean, I don't know, there's just something there's something about just connecting with, na- with nature in a deeper way that just, just resonates with where, where my birding journey is at the moment. Mm, yeah, that's, that's totally true. I mean, you, you could have rushed back to, I've, I've had that experience as well. So it's, it's totally true what you're saying. Um, you know, you, 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 I've gone on, on many walks before and I just have my binoculars and uh, in the past it used to be my mistake, uh, by mistake and I, I used to start the walk and I used to see a really cool bird and it perched right in front of me on this open branch and I could have made the choice to run back to the house, quickly grab my camera um, but you know, I'd be wasting that time that I could be enjoying the bird and watching it more and learning more about its habits and just enjoying it um, because rather than going back and getting the camera wasting more time and just to get a photo and by the time you've taken the photo the bird's flown away and you can't get a a physical view of the bird with your own eyes 
uh, and not through the camera's lens because it, what you said there made me realize, you know, the only reason you should be taking the photo is for yourself. And many people, especially with social media these days, they want to get that shot, you know, to put on social media to show others, you know, I got this awesome shot and, you know, to get more likes and stuff. And some people, it's not, it's not like that, you know. Uh, they just, they, they take the shot, they make the effort to get the shot and they, they're really confident with it and they're happy and content and they, they share their awesome sighting and their enjoyment. But yeah, sometimes you just need to go for a walk with just your bins or even without your bins, you know, do it the old way before binoculars were made um, and, and just go out into the habitats and look at birds with your own eyes and enjoy it, I could say, the natural way. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think one of the most one of the best episodes I've had of the Birding Life uh, uh, podcast happened about three weeks ago, and it was with two three South Kiana Cantor, and a young birder just with a fascinating um, understanding of birding, and you know he just spoke of this idea of going into the field and asking questions, and I think you know the one level of atlasing um, is to go into the field and record what you see. The next level is to come back and to to start asking questions about the results you're seeing. You know, why is that bird there at this time of the year and it's not there at this time of the year? Why did that cinnamon-breasted bunting? I mean, it's it's it's. I mean, I was looking at the Sabab records. It's reasonably far to range. Um, not an out of range like a crazy bird that people will twitch or something. But it's it's you know, and starting to ask questions. Maybe it's because the winter is a bit cold inland. But I think you know, sometimes sit down and ask these questions and try to figure out, you know why why birds do what you do and i think you know it just it just takes your makes your birding journey a lot more rewarding i mean the thing is when you recorded that next bird yeah you know but in between that bird and the next lifer birding can be very boring if it's just about getting birds in your list and i think it's it's about going going deeper in your journey and trying to challenge yourself to to look at birds in a deeper way than you look to them the previous day and every day going to the field saying i love what kiano said he the, the perspective he gave on the twitch he said, if you go, and he didn't go for it, but he said, if you'd gone to get the lesser white throat, it's almost this invitation to get to know that bird better. And I thought, wow, that is such an amazing way to see a twitch, not just to go there and take a photo and to go home. But when you, you see that bird, it's an opportunity to spend time with it and understand that bird in a deeper way. And I think that it's for me, it's just this idea of, of going deeper with your journey and, and just you know, making the most of the time you get to spend. But yeah, guys, um, it's been good to chat. Just a couple of... Um, uh, just announcements that are coming up, which is really cool. The virtual African bird fair is happening on the 30th to the 31st of July at the end of this month. Chris Packham is speaking and a, uh, someone who, uh, David Lindo, and I've been looking a little bit at his website, um, The Urban Birder, fantastic, fantastic um, person. And I'd really encourage you to check that out. Um, a lot of it's free. There are a couple of paid talks, photography workshops and all that. So yeah, check that out. Um, Peter Harrison's Seabirds, a new identification guide. We had Peter Harrison on the show a few weeks ago. That book is out, and I've been looking at some of the social media pictures, and it is an absolutely fantastic, fantastic book. I, I cannot wait to get my hands on a copy. A couple weeks In a couple of weeks' time, we're going to have um, Hans Larsen, who is one of the illustrators. He's going to be on the Birding Life um, show. Like I mentioned earlier, the African Bird Life um, July-August edition is on the shelves um, with uh, Southern Grand Hornbill on the cover. Um, a really fantastic, fantastic uh, edition. Um, great photos. Uh, there's a One of my favorite articles in it is, I always enjoy his stuff, is Mike Buckham. And he does uh, an article on birding in the Bavian's Kloof. And 
Yes, if you read any of his articles, articles are absolutely fascinating. But guys, it's been so good to chat. Pity Calvin couldn't be with us, but looking forward to next month's show. And Mark, just also to say, you're doing an absolutely fantastic job on the 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 Youth Birding podcast. Your poetry this week was absolutely awesome. And if, you, if people haven't listened to that, go and listen to Mark's poetry. It is really good. So guys, thanks for being on the show and hope you guys have a fantastic month of birding. Sharp. Cheerio, guys. Thanks, Adam. We are proud to be working in association with Wild Books to help get all the best birding resources into your hands at a great price. If you would like to support the Birding Life Project and the resources that we are putting out, please click on the link in either the comment section of this podcast or in our social media posts. Your support helps us to improve and hopefully make a bigger impact. Be sure to head over to our website www.thebirdinglife.com and check out all the exciting resources that we have on our website, including our exciting forum section to connect you with the world of birding, birders, and exciting birds out there. Do not forget to follow The Birding Life on Instagram and Facebook. We really appreciate everyone that takes the time to interact with these accounts. Be sure to check out Birdlasser and download the app on either iOS or Android, and keep a laughless while playing your part in social conservation as well as Swarovski Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars and spotting scopes. So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.